listen, God is calling, through the word inviting, offering forgiveness, comfort and joy. Listen, listen, God is calling, through the word inviting, offering forgiveness, comfort and joy. Listen, God is calling, through the word inviting, Offering forgiveness, comfort, and joy. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and saw their forced labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his kinsfolk. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, he saw two Hebrews fighting, and he said to the one who was in the wrong, why do you strike your fellow Hebrew? He answered, who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh. Listen, listen, God is calling Through the word inviting Offering forgiveness, comfort and joy Listen, listen, God is calling Through the word inviting Offering forgiveness, comfort, and joy. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then God said, come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. God said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them, so come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. 
when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I gotta go see about a girl. Matt Damon made that line briefly famous in 1997 when he played a janitor turned math prodigy in the film Goodwill Hunting. Anybody remember that one? Great. That's at least half of you. Of course, uh, he stole the line from Sean, his court-appointed anger management counselor, played by Robin Williams. It's in one scene that Sean recounts to Will the story of when he first laid eyes on the woman who would become his wife. And the date was October 25th, 1975, which will mean very little to most except perhaps those who are deeply entrenched in Red Sox lore. How many of those are out there? Not that many. Read. Brian Curran, if you were here, that's great. It's game six of the World Series, 12th inning. Carlton Fisk steps to the plate and he hits the ball 310 feet all the way down the third baseline. And in, is, in what's one of the most iconic moments in baseball, the camera captured Fisk frantically waving the ball in the direction of fair. And it hits the foul pole. It hits the foul pole and bounces in the direction of Fair, a walk-off home run that sent the series into a seventh game. That's what would have unfolded later that night at Fenway Park. And Sean was all set to go, ticket in hand, when the most beautiful woman he'd ever seen walked by. And he slides his ticket across the table to his buddies and said, sorry guys, I gotta go see about a girl. Will, who cannot believe his therapist missed out on this historic moment in Red Sox history, stares at him stunned and says, you're, you're kidding me. You are kidding me. Sean's reply, I'm not kidding you, and that's why I'm not talking to you about some girl I saw 20 years ago and how I always regretted not going over and talking to her. I don't regret the 18 years I was married to Nancy. I don't regret the six years I had to give up counseling when she got sick. I don't regret the last years when she got really sick. And I sure don't regret missing some baseball game. Sometimes you have to go see about something. You have to turn aside from whatever seems like the most important thing in your life at the moment to go see about something else, something that is suddenly revealed to you and that promises to be bigger than anything that came before it. That's the story of Moses in a nutshell. He's the guy who turned aside. But the burning bush... Burning Bush was not the first time he stopped and noticed and turned aside. In our first reading, Moses is going along, minding his own business, walking in that straight line, and he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave. Now, Scripture goes out of the way to say that Moses saw an Egyptian beating one of his kinsfolk. 
Now that's really interesting because who Moses' kinsfolk are is completely up for debate. The thing to remember about Moses is that he was raised in the house of Pharaoh. Some of you may know the story. As a baby, he was put in a basket, set afloat down the Nile River. The Egyptian princess found him crying in the reeds. She took pity on the child and she raised him as her own son. So he grew up in the courts of power and of plenty, a member of Pharaoh's family. So yes, in every sense of the word, Moses walked like an Egyptian. (laughs) But still, in spite of enjoying great privilege, when he sees this Egyptian beating a Hebrew, he turns aside. He didn't have to. Lord knows it would have been easier for him not to get involved, to keep walking straight and accept that this is normal. But he didn't. He turned aside. He acted. He defended the one who was vulnerable. The story takes care to tell us that Moses looked this way and that before intervening and killing this Egyptian. Now, on its face, that reads like a premeditated murder. Moses checking to see if the coast is clear before committing the crime. But there's this old Jewish interpretation that this isn't Moses seeing if he can get away with it. The rabbis wondered, what if Moses looked this way and that, waiting for somebody, anybody, to intervene, to do the right thing, to intervene and stop this great injustice? Seeing no one, Moses realized he would have to be that person, and so he turned aside. And so he acted. Now, years later, after Moses has fled from Pharaoh and finds himself herding sheep out in the wilderness, it's little wonder that he turned aside to see about a a burning bush. He'd already turned aside once before. God knew he was the kind of person that would turn aside. The kind of person who notices when something is not right. The kind of person who is moved by great injustice. This burning bush story is really one of the most important in the entire Hebrew Bible. This is God's self-revelation. It's about as plain a statement as God will ever make about who God is and what God is about. A few verses later, God will even tell Moses the name of God, Yahweh. Though it's less a name, more a description. I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. But this is the moment when God's core identity is revealed. And at this critical moment of self-disclosure, God says, I also turn aside. I turn aside. I have observed the misery of my people. I have heard their cry. I know their suffering. I have come down to deliver them. 
Those are all direct quotes from the reading. But implicit in this speech is something along the lines of this. Moses, I have turned aside to do something about this great injustice. What I could use is a partner. Somebody who also turns aside. Somebody who is not content to let injustice stand. I believe that person is you, Moses, so come, I will send you to Pharaoh. God is revealed to be the one who notices when we hurt. The one who notices when those who are held captive to powers that use and abuse them. And God is in search of partners who also notice those who are used and abused and who wish to help. In a few moments, we're going to collect school supplies for one of our mission partners, the Refugee Support Center. We've been doing this each summer for a number of years to help families in our community start the school year right. Now, these are people who have fled from all manner of violence and oppression. They've come to this country in search of safety and relief, in search of opportunities for themselves and for their children. The Refugee Support Center has this annual tradition. Around July 4th each summer, they explain to the refugee families they serve what this national holiday is about. What's, the, what's July 4th all about? How it's a, a time to reflect on what it means to live in this nation, in this land of the free. And then they ask these refugee families they serve, what does the United States mean to you? And they send out a, a collection of gathered quotes that never fail to humble me and fill me with gratitude. This past week, these are a few of the things these new friends said when asked, what does the USA mean to you? Freedom, not worrying about running away or being caught. I can make plans for the next day and beyond. I'm not where I want to be yet, but every day I'm closer to my goals. People are elevated in this country. We can grow, we can improve. Our energy isn't tied up in finding food and running from the enemy. We had so many difficulties and troubles in our country. We were always afraid here we aren't scared to send our children to school or to go to work. America has rules that everybody follows, not just the little people like us. The big people must obey too. There is so much kindness a few months after we arrived, my wife and I went to buy a washing machine. We had $200 saved up. We asked another customer in the store where to find a used washing machine, and she said she'd walk with us to the area. And when she asked about us, we said we were refugees. She told us to keep our money, helped us to pick out a brand new washing machine, and paid for it herself. We never saw her again. This is America. 
I would be dead if I weren't here. This country has saved my life. A new beginning and getting the chance to hope. Humbling, right? The school supplies, it's not fixing everything in the lives of these families, but it's one way that we can say, you are welcome here. It's one way we can notice those who have been used and abused for far too long. It's one small, small way that we can partner with God to correct grave injustice. Did God need Moses to deliver the Hebrews out of slavery in Egypt? No, probably not. God can do deliverance all alone, no problem. But I don't think God wants to do it alone. God discovered in Moses a fitting partner, somebody who cares enough to turn aside, somebody who longs to do what is right, somebody whose heart beats in rhythm with God's own heart. And God is looking for ordinary people like you and me whose hearts beat with compassion and care for those who are crying out for deliverance. Friends, when our hearts do beat together with God's own heart, when we care about the same things that God cares about, maybe that is the holiest ground of all. So shoes off. Amen.